Welcome to Find Your Niche, a career podcast offering advice that you can implement today, as well as career tips that will set you on a career path and help you to find your niche. I'm Lori Cole, certified career coach and job search advisor with iHire. iHire connects you to industry-specific jobs in over 57 talent communities. Find your niche today on iHire. Are you earning what you're worth or are you a victim of a pay compression gap or a gender pay gap? Let me explain those two types of pay gaps. A pay compression gap happens when someone who just got hired at a company or hasn't worked at a company for very long makes more money than someone who's been there for many years. A gender pay gap is the gap between what men and women earn. So despite a lot of progress in recent years, the gender pay gap still exists. For instance, in 2021, women made 83 cents for every dollar a man earned. What can you do about it? Well, you need to be your own advocate to be sure that you're earning what you're worth. And I have five practical ideas that you can begin doing today if you suspect a pay gap exists in your company. Here are the latest trends, topics, and tips that will help you in your job search. Number one, ask for a raise or a promotion. That's an easy one. How long's it been since you've asked for a raise or asked for a promotion? Staffing shortages seem to be everywhere, so you've probably been doing extra work without getting a raise or even a better job title. Take the initiative and talk to your manager about how you can get appropriately compensated for your work. Don't wait for your manager to come to you or wait for your annual review. Sometimes by the time you have your annual review, budgets have been set for the year and there's no money left for you. Glassdoor found that 73% of women didn't ask for a pay raise during the pandemic compared to 58% of men. Women usually start at lower salaries and get raises less often, so the gender pay gap widens. Number two, don't use your old or your current salary as a benchmark when you're looking for a new job. Basing future negotiations on your previous salary won't close the gap if you're already making less than you should be. In 21 states and counties, prospective employers can't even ask about your salary history because it's illegal. Number three, do your research. When it comes to negotiating a pay raise or new salary, you have to do your research and know what you're worth. There are many great sources on iHire, including our salary research tool and a video about what data you need for successful salary negotiations. To put it simply, you need to know the market rate for the job you're applying to, what unique skills and talents you bring for that job, and what you're looking for as far as salary and benefit packages go. Number four, don't be afraid to negotiate. Most companies expect people to negotiate and they have a range to work within. So think of that first salary number they throw out to you as a jumping off point for negotiation. A CNBC article says that 60% of women have never negotiated a salary or a raise and many women just change jobs to get their pay raise 
instead of going in and negotiating. Just think about how a higher salary now will affect your lifetime earnings because this is the jumping off point for all of your future raises and salary negotiations. Starting at a higher number now will significantly help you save for retirement and get out of debt faster. Consider your options. Are there any perks the company offers that you're not using, like a 401k match? Are they open to benefits like helping with childcare costs, offering remote work stipends, or giving you extra time off? Maybe if a raise isn't in the cards, they might offer to give you an on-the-spot bonus. But whatever the company promises, get it in writing because that paper trail may come in handy later. Number five, look for a new job. As I mentioned before, you can always look for a new job, but some people do this to get competing offers to leverage a pay raise. This is risky business, and I don't recommend using this strategy. I've talked to many human resource people who say that once an employee does this and successfully gets the raise, the employee will likely leave the company within the year anyway. So even if you stay, the employer is always waiting for that other shoe to drop. But if you've done everything I've recommended and there isn't a pay raise in sight, looking for a new job may be the only option to push your salary to the next level. It's up to you to take control of this because nobody else can do it for you. Today's guest is Julie Devlin, Senior Partner at HCM Advisory Group at UKG. Julie has more than 17 years of experience as an HR executive focusing on improving workplace culture and increasing satisfaction in the workplace. She was a recent speaker at SHRM 22, and that's where I had a chance to catch up with her in the media room. Julie is a fellow podcaster and co-hosts the People Purpose Podcast, and that's a show that focuses on all things about people at work. And she's just an all-around fun and energetic person to talk to. Let's hear from today's featured guests who has found their niche. So Julie, how can employees provide a good experience to their employers? How can they be somebody that the employer just wants to keep and goes to extra lengths to do so? Yeah, I think it starts out with uh, the employee uh, understanding their role. And I think that the employee actually has some responsibility in making sure that they do fully understand their role. So if there's any ambiguity or if there's any questions, I think the employee needs to make sure that they speak to the employer and ask those questions and get the answers that they need. Uh, Because the worst thing is to be doing a job and not really understand your purpose, not understand why it is you're doing what you're doing and uh, how you contribute to the overall mission of the company. I've heard the word purpose a lot today Mm -hmm. from the other guests. It it is a main topic of conversation. I'm sure it is with the people that you're talking to on the floor, too. You wrote an article about a psychological contract. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us what that is? Sure. The psychological contract has to do with the exchange relationship between the employer and the employee concerning the balance of expectations. So at its core... 
the psychological contract says, okay, me as the employer, you're going to work for me and I'm going to give you a paycheck. Now that's one way to look at it. But another way to look at it is from a relational side of things. So uh, in terms of I'm the employee, this is what I expect from you as my employer. However, uh, is the question becomes, is the employer perpetuating that? Is the employer making sure that uh, they're providing expectations to employees that are actually realistic and that they're making, uh, making good on whatever is promised to employees? It's almost like an unspoken contract. 100%. Yeah, and that's the thing about the psychological contract. Um, it's something that keeps us in HR, uh, job security. Um, <laughs> the fact that each person has a unique psychological contract with their employer. And the expectations that are there are based on a lot of things that have to do with perception. Also has to do with past experiences. So you as the employer may be providing the employee a great experience, um, but that employee may be coming into your company with uh, some trauma from what they've dealt with in the past. Right. So I think it's important for us to remember that um, not everybody has the same has had the same experiences when it comes to work, and we just have to be aware of that. In your article, you say something about an easy way for me to rationalize bad employee behavior attitudes was to chalk it up to stress or burnout. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, well, that's one way to rationalize uh, employee uh, behaviors, right? You can say that it's based on stress, it's based on burnout. And these days, with sort of where we are in the world of work, um, I think that's true in a lot of ways. Um, However, I think there's another side of it that we have to look at. And that side is, are you delivering to your employees what it is that you're promising. So if you're, for example, you know, during this time uh, of remote work, uh, that shift to remote work, a lot of folks have gotten used to that. And the question becomes, (laughs) if we're going to ask our employees to come back to the office, why are we asking them to do that? You know, they can't really unsee what they've been through. They've seen that they can do work. Exactly. They've seen their friends do the work, you know, over the years, uh, the couple years now, uh, two years plus. Um, and they've saved money. They've saved, saved stress. They've saved time. Uh, so if you're asking them to come back to the office, why is it that you're asking them? Uh, and, and I think being clear and transparent about that is, is uh, vitally important in order to ensure that you're upholding expectations. Do you think that some employers are asking them to come back just more out of a control factor just because they can? It's like, okay, it's, this is over, get over it, people, you're coming back into the office. Yeah, and and it's funny when we say this is over, um, is it? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, And I guess the, another question that we can ponder on a different podcast, is it ever going to be over, you know, and, and I think though, what we have to look at uh, in terms of where we are in 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 our in work today, you know, are you just you as a as a I say you as a as a company? Are you trying to build back uh, to, or are you trying to get back to the status quo or where things were, or are you you know working to sort of build back better, build back stronger to where? Um, we recognize that everything has changed and uh, perceptions have changed and. What employees are looking for out of work has also changed in terms of the time that they spend, in terms of the energy and the effort that they spend. I think a lot of folks have realized that uh, time is even more precious than we realized. But that's not to say that work isn't important because it is. When we talk about things like social interaction, uh, we talk about things like the feeling of belonging and inclusion and 
you know, just making sure that, uh, that our employees know that what they're doing is making a difference in the overall goal and mission of the company. So if I'm working somewhere and I have this silent psychological contract in my head and I know what I'm expecting, how does my employer drag that out of me? <laughs> well, it, believe it or not, it starts with uh, that old buzzword, communication, right? right? I think that it's it's not the employer as a whole. I think the most important person is the manager, mm-hmm. um, the person that the the person that the employee is coming in contact with on a day to day basis, uh, and making sure that managers are having those one on one conversations uh, to where they're asking employees how they're doing. You know, asking a simple question, "How are you today?" and not accepting good as an answer. No, right. no, no. How real? How fine. are you? Yeah, right. Fine. Yeah. Um, ma- you know, making sure that uh, if there's ever any kind of rift or feeling of, um, I don't know, that there's animosity between an employee and, and a manager, or maybe you have a really good employee who's no longer working the way that they once did, we need to find out why. And it's not just because they're having a bad day. You know, if those things are happening over and over again, uh, you know, we need to we need to have the courage to ask the questions um, in order to show that we actually care about the employee as a person, not just the worker. I've heard companies doing stay interviews yeah. to find out what what can we do to get these people to stay. Yep. Have you ran into that too? Yeah, actually, the speech I did this morning, I asked that question to the audience, how many of you are doing stay interviews? And I was pleasantly surprised to see several folks are doing stay interviews. Um, so for those who aren't familiar, uh, it's basically an exit interview, but your folks aren't exiting. It's uh, people who uh, have been at the organization for, you know, whatever period of time. A lot of companies are doing these on a regular basis, on a regular cadence, uh, asking questions like, are you still uh, happy working at this company? Um, What attracted you to this company? Are you still attracted because of those reasons? You know, where do you see yourself in a month, a year, five years? How can we help you get there? Uh, That shows the employer has commitment to the employee and that they are willing to help them grow um, as individuals. And I think today's employee is really looking for that. Wouldn't it help people stay so much more if you could have those conversations with your employer and say, and have them ask you, what is it that you want to do? Because so many people are doing something that they just started doing because it was a job. And then you just kind of get pigeonholed into this role and you see something else you want to do, but you never have the opportunity to say, hey, can I try that? Yeah. And I'll, I'll give you another perspective. You know, When we look at today's uh, hiring environment and there's a shortage of skilled workers for certain positions and whatnot, you know, a lot of uh, today's worker, they have side gigs that they do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that employers have to embrace that and recognize that, yeah, there are side hustles that folks do. Um, And when you have these conversations, asking them, um, hey, you know, what are your outside interests? You know, not being invasive about it, but what are your outside interests for work and that uh, from work and that kind of thing? Um, You may realize that you have employees that have skills that are transferable that you may be able to use. And you have you may have a whole internal candidate pool that you don't know about. Right. You just (laughs) didn't even know those people existed. Exactly. Exactly. One of the recent podcasts I listened to, you were talking uh, with your podcast partner. Chaz, yes, yes, Chaz Fields, yes. Yes, about the wage gap. Mm-hmm. And one of, the, one of the 
figures you quoted was stat of the day, mm-hmm. $10,157. And you asked what that number stood for. And that was the wage gap between men and women. Mm-hmm. I can't even believe that's still a thing. 100% it's still a thing. Uh, UKG is actually, we've partnered with the National Women's Soccer League, um, and they have a cha- what's called a Challenge Cup. And our commitment uh, to, the, to the league was that we were going to raise the purse for the champion to equal that of the men. Um, so that way the, the, you know, women would be equal to men. We've also committed to providing 18 cents for every payroll check that we run um, to perpetuate uh, equality, pay equality, um, because I think that's the wage gap per dollar. It's 18 cents. So it's, it's really, yeah, it is still a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, when we look at the pandemic, too, uh, it's really set women back a lot um, in the workplace um, just based upon child care and, you know, having to, them having to, leave jobs for whatever reason. Unfortunately, yes, it's still a thing. So how is this happening if more and more companies are being forced to be transparent with their uh, pay Mm -hmm. when they post a job and and that sort of thing? I mean, how can they differentiate between uh, a man and a woman getting that job and justify the difference in that pay? Oh, gosh. (laughs) I don't think you can justify it. Um, I I think that it's important for companies to do internal audits on a regular basis. And having those internal audits uh, and also using your HR software to show you what's going on, using analytics to show you what's going on in terms of the pay breakdown can help you identify problems before they even happen. You know, it's not just money. It's also um, uh, gender breakdowns. It's also uh, ethnicity breakdowns. You know, I think that uh, having key insights into the the true hard data is important, especially when it comes to decisions that are being made. Because when decisions are made based on numbers, they're much easier to back up those decisions. When I coach candidates, I'm always telling them go in with the data, whether they are asking for a raise at work or whether they're starting to negotiate salary. Mm-hmm. I always tell them go in with the data. You know, there's the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and then there's Glassdoor, mm-hmm. and there's iHire, and there's a, a myriad of companies out there that p- will provide this. Do you think that enough companies are actually doing that research on their own and know what their pay rate should be when they are interviewing for a position? (laughs) I hate to generalize. (laughs) Um, In my experience, though, consulting with companies, no. Um, I think that it's important for companies to look at benchmarking, um, to look at what the competition is doing, um, what they're paying. Um, you know, even if it costs a couple dollars for those reports, I think that the the payoff is definitely there. But that isn't that is an area that companies can look for, and, and it'll it'll do a world of wonders when you're going to recruit, uh, and then you you know you're hiring candidates. You already know that you're paying fairly based on what's going on in the market. If you're a woman in the workforce and you feel like there is a gap even within in your own company mm-hmm. between you and uh, a male coworker that's doing the same job, how do you address that? Yeah. <laughs> the answer is yes, and here's why I say that. You have to address it. You know, there are so many of us uh, who have been maybe conditioned to not say anything or it's not a comfortable conversation to have, but having that conversation is vital in order to have progress because without that conversation, there's going to be no progress. 
So how do th- how does someone go in and try to change that tide? Do they go in with the data? How do they yeah. approach this? Yeah, I think you would almost have to go in with the data. You know, talk to uh, talk to friends, talk to others, um, and you know, ask why. If there's a if there's a gap there, ask why. I think that's very important. You almost have to imagine that everybody's pay in the company is posted on the billboard or like on the whiteboard in the conference room anymore mm-hmm. because people do talk. They do find out. People do talk. People do find out. Uh, talking about salary is not as taboo as it once was. Um, and I think that employees uh, are very willing to uh, share salaries in order to ensure fairness. From your talk today and from our podcast, what is the one big takeaway that you want people to understand from our conversation? Oof. Gosh. Okay, my best career advice for candidates is to get involved with as many organizations as you can surrounding the things that interest you. I I truly believe that networking and connections and making sure that you're having actual real conversations with people in person when you can um, is vitally important uh, for progress. Um, I I would say most of the opportunities that I've had in my career are based upon you know, people I know who have referred me to things and, you know, based on word of mouth. I mean, my current job I got from a, I I was referred by a friend who I volunteered uh, in Sherm with. Um, And, you know, it's, it's really, it really is who you know in a lot of, a lot of uh, instances. And I think that, you know, the internet is great and uh, having email conversations is great, but making real true connections, I think is still important. Um, and I may sound antiquated saying that, but it doesn't bother me because it's something that I firmly, steadfastly believe. No, you're not antiquated in saying that at all because networking is the primary way that people find jobs. Yeah. I mean, even with all the other resources out there, it still really comes down to who you know. Yeah. Um, LinkedIn is also vitally important. Yes. Um, however many uh, speaking engagements I've received from LinkedIn connections has been incredible. You know, and it's just word of mouth. It's, you know, somebody hears you speak somewhere and they tell their friends and they tell their friends and next thing you know I'm traveling almost every day in June so (laughs) yeah yeah. that's good well Julie thank you so much for being here today thank you so much is there something you need some guidance on in terms of your career email to laurie.com at ihire.com thanks for listening